Danielle Smith's tenure as Alberta Premier has been dogged by controversy in its first few weeks. She's had to walk back controversies around comments on vaccines and Russia's invasion of Ukraine, even as she tries to set a new course for the United Conservative government in advance of a spring election. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Calgary Sun columnist Rick Bell joins me to discuss Smith's early controversies, what factions in the party she's appealing to, and how that may shape the coming election campaign. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Rick, the last time I had Danielle Smith as a topic on this podcast was only a couple of weeks ago, just in advance of her swearing in. And since her swearing in, there's been a handful of controversies dogging the new Alberta Premier. We had her comments immediately after her swearing in, wherein she suggested that the unvaccinated were the most discriminated against in her lifetime, which she had to walk back, offer a bit of a clarification. And then she got into some hot water based on some social media posts to her locals.com page, which she started up after she left her radio show in Calgary that were uncovered by a freelance writer, Justin Ling, that suggested to some degree that Ukraine was partially, at least partially to blame for the state of things involving Russia's invasion in that country. And she has since had to walk those comments back. This all takes us to this past weekend where we have a new cabinet announced and we have the party convention or the party annual general meeting. But before we dive into some of the most recent events, I, I was curious what your thoughts were to some of these controversies that have hit the new Alberta premier. Are we talking about, you know, just some slips of the tongue, some maybe shooting too fast from the hip, or are these kind of statements that suggest that people get a sense of, of what she actually believes? I think to some degree the latter, because uh, I'm sure that investigation of of past comments and past posts uh, occurred because we've all known that when she was on the Chorus Radio Network, uh, you know, she did make a lot of comments. A lot of her commentary was, uh, you know, quite controversial. And talk radio, I suppose you get some of that. But there were a lot of comments over time. I think people knew that about Danielle, that she was really speaking her mind, and her mind went in various different directions. You know, and because it happened right off the hop, right in the beginning when you're when usually what happens is there is you know a bit of a honeymoon and there is sort of positivity or at least not negativity in in the first few days and and weeks in fact it it set a certain tone and it established in the minds of some people that Danielle Smith might have questionable judgment now other people of course I got all kinds of emails from her supporters who fiercely, and that's even an understatement, more than fiercely defended her. But I think it confirmed for some people the suspicion that she has entertained some, uh, let's say, unorthodox, others would say off the dial ideas. So that set the tone right at the beginning, before the party met for their annual general meeting and before. She, uh, you know, rolled out her cabinet and all of that sort of thing and, and started the business of government. So it wasn't a good uh, intro. Mm -hmm. And as we head into the weekend of the annual general meeting, which was held just outside of Edmonton, 
We have a new cabinet announced. We have, you know, a lot of Kenny loyalists who were, were kept in the mix. I'm curious, you know, we, just a, a brief comment on that. You know, were you surprised by the fact that she kept some of these key Kenny officials, Travis Taves, Tyler Shandro, Adriana LaGrange in education, some of these ministers who were really the face of the Kenny government, especially considering how much she seemed to want to, you know, diverge from what the Kenny, the Kenny regime had done over the last couple of years? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I was not surprised in the sense of, she, you know, she only has so many people. It's not the strongest uh, group of MLAs I've ever seen, not close to the strongest group of MLAs to choose from. Um, and when I began talking to my supporters, they were not so concerned about most of the picks because what they are more concerned about is getting their voice heard and getting what they want done. So if that means she, you know, they're kind of trusting Smith, this are her supporters, kind of trusting Smith that she's picking the right people. Now to, I think most people understand that to unify the party, you usually put in most of the people who ran against you in some sort of capacity. So obviously Travis Taves as the finance minister is, you know, probably not controversial. She did have to offer a, a, a few people up, and the big one that she had to offer up was Jason Nixon who, of course, was called the other Jason, who was one of the three cabinet ministers who were on the Sky Palace patio, who was part of the group close to Kenny called the Boy Band. And then he was a subject of controversy in a, in a fight for a nomination. He was seen as the closest of the closest of the closest to Kenny, so he obviously had to go. Tyler Shandro, that's going to be very interesting because you have a pro-vaccine passport, pro-COVID restriction justice minister, now responsible for the legislation that will prohibit discrimination against the unvaccinated. But again, I think a lot of people gave that a pass because they see Danielle as running the show and unless she betrays them, uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute because I had an interview with the Take Back Alberta head, if, unless she betrays them, you know, they're probably willing to be agnostic about the cabinet because there weren't that many Smith supporters she could put in. She didn't. It was Taves that got the majority of the, you know, of the MLA backing. She didn't have that many. I mean, she did put in people like Pete Guthrie of Cochrane, who was an early adopter. She did put in Todd Lowen, who was the guy that stood up to Kenny and got kicked out of the UCP caucus. And most and almost all of his votes went to Smith. In, in the in the later ballots. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think that's the subject of, uh, of much uh, argy-bargy among our supporters. Mm-hmm. And in her speech to Party Faithful at the AGM, I, I got the sense that Daniel Smith, you know, despite some appearance of maybe moderating some of her, her positions on things in the intervening weeks from the swearing-in to the AGM, specifically the Alberta Sovereignty Act, which we've talked about on this program before, that in her speech, she really kind of doubled down on the positions that she's held. And she basically said, I'm not going to waver for anybody. What was, what was your thoughts after that speech? You're absolutely right. It was a doubling down, even though it wasn't delivered in as passionate a doubling down as I thought it might be, given the crowd that was in the room. And maybe that, this is where I should interject exactly who was in the room. And at this UCP AGM, something you can't see if you're just watching a speech at home or if you're watching a news conference at home, 
is there were, were board elections. And nine, I think it was nine positions, I believe, were up. There was a long lineup, longer than I've ever seen in over 30 years, lined up to vote. And many of that pe- the people in that long lineup were people who I did not recognize, and I've gone to a gazillion of these conventions, and people who, when I spoke with them, had only recently become involved in politics, many of them becoming involved during COVID, during the review of Kenny's leadership. So it was a very different crowd than, your, than say, the UCP convention just before COVID, which felt very much like an old-school PC convention, old-school progressive conservative convention. This is not what this looked like. These were people that were coming for the first time, newbies to politics, and they wanted to hear a barn burner. Now, in delivery style, it wasn't a barn burner, but it was a doubling down, but they wanted doubling down. This, these are their issues. These are their issues. They may not be everybody's issues. They may not even be the majority of Albertans' issues if the polls are right. But these are their, their issues, and these are also the issues that Smith said she would concentrate on first. And uh, I just spoke to her very, very recently on the phone, and she emphasized again, these three things I will not change. I am going to go through these, you know, and these are big, big priorities for me. The Sovereignty Act, shaking up Alberta Health Services, providing human rights protection against discrimination for the unvaccinated, so when she made that speech, she then went to a news conference where, what did she do? She apologized to the unvaccinated. What did she do? She offered all of the people that got fired for their jobs because they were unvaccinated, she offered them all their jobs back. And of course, she once again talked about the people who got COVID fines. She wants those fines to all go away. So she, she continued on that theme from the speech to even a stronger doubling down at the press conference. And then guess what happens shortly after? A group called Take Back Alberta was instrumental in in gathering members, selling memberships to get rid of Kenny. They also were supportive of Smith. They win. Their slate sweeps in and takes the board seats that are up up for grabs. That's not all the board, but it's much of the board. And they then say say to me, this is the Wild Rose takeover of the party. No longer is it Kenny and the PCs as they see it. And then they start saying she cannot pivot. She must stick to her guns. If she doesn't stick to her guns and she becomes, quote, like Aaron O'Toole, she may not last till the next election. So there was a lot of bravado and a lot of ultimatums and a lot of tough talk after they won that. So it's, you know, hugely eventful convention, way beyond the speech. And then since then, I've spoken one-on-one with the premier and she is, you know, I asked her quite explicitly, what do you say to those people who believe that perhaps your supporters are not enough in the mainstream, or perhaps they're too extreme, or perhaps they're not really reflective of the majority of Albertans, and she was very strong in defending them again. 
We'll be right back. Back to the the take back Alberta people for for a second. You mentioned that you know these they represent kind of this you know maybe a throwback to the Wild Rose Party of which Daniel Smith was leader number of years ago. Normally, board elections for political parties, especially in Canada, are seen kind of as very much inside baseball. You know, you couldn't nine out of ten or nine and a half out of ten or nine point nine out of ten Albertans couldn't identify who sits on a party's board. What is significant about the Take Back Alberta group and and why perhaps that people should pay attention to what's going on at the board level with the UCP? Well, first off, it's a show of strength. The board elections were a venue for the people that are very strong about those three issues I talked about, which is and the you know, the COVID response, no lockdowns, no restrictions, you know, radically shake up the HS uh, per, you know, protection for the unvaccinated from any kind of discrimination. In other words, no vaccine passports, none of that sort of thing, and the Sovereignty Act. This was a chance for them to say, look at, we can bring people to this party and influence the result of a vote. In this case, it's a board election vote, but they also influenced the vote of the Kenny leadership review. So it went sort of, they challenged Kenny, then they had an influence on the Kenny vote. Then they had an influence on the Smith vote. Then they had an influence on the board vote. So part of it is a show of strength. In the minutia that most, that is, as you call it, inside baseball, and I agree completely with you, you know, there are board issues like nominations. You know, are there going to be renominations? What, how, how do they govern nominations? And I think the board members that were elected that were endorsed by Take Back Alberta are going to be the kinds of people that would say, for instance, in a, a nomination where this Jason Nixon fellow uh, was uh, running against somebody who was perceived to be very popular and that person got disqualified, uh, this board may not be so quick to disqualify that person. There was also another by-election contest in uh, southern Alberta where another MLA was facing another tough nomination battle, and suddenly that nomination fight disappeared because the the challenger was disqualified. So things like that, and also it is still the executive of the party. They they can't tell the government what to do. They're not the government. But again, it's just uh, it just shows that they're not going away, and this is more evidence that they want to show that they're not going away. And as you know, there was all kinds of stuff going on at the board about where the Kenny leadership contest was going to be, when it was going to be, how it was going to be run. That was all party stuff. And that was big stuff. It was the party that canceled the Red Deer vote. It was the party that decided how the votes were going to happen. It was the party that decided when the vote was going to happen. So there are things that they can do when you're in a period of flux and a period of controversy as as the party was in. And what it also did is it deflated the other people. So I cruised around the casino and I went in some of the uh, bar and restaurant areas and there were people literally crying in their beer. There were people who said, how did they get elected? So they weren't talking about the minutia of the board. 
they were, you know, what they what they do and what they have jurisdiction over. They weren't getting into those sort of political science discussions. They were just talking about. I can't believe those guys pulled it off because I can tell you this. Well, you want another little inside thing? A hospitality suite of people that were very much on the side of freedom. The place was packed. A hospitality suite of a PR firm that was friendly to Kenny, not so much. So, so I think it, I just think it established a tone for that whole AGM and beyond, again, beyond the actual speech and beyond, they all fit together though, as you're quite right. They all fit together. The speech was a double down. The press conference was a double down of the double down. And then the board election was a double down of the double down of the double down. And then at the end of it, it it left one side very, very happy and energized, the Smith side. And it left the other side sort of wondering, well, what's going to happen now? And it made them anxious. It made them anxious. I talked to people after, and they're not mad. They're not angry. They're not throwing in the towel. They're still confident that in the end, Alberta Albertans will choose conservatism over the NDP. But I can honestly say they're anxious. That would be the word. I don't want to torque it or overdo it. But they are definitely, there is a body of opinion in the mainstream party that is anxious at the moment. Yeah. And I mean, as we're recording this, we're, you know, a couple days shy of seven months until the next provincial election in the spring of 2023. And you have a party that is kind of reckoning with a new leader and and trying to figure out, you know, where she's going to go next. And you, as you said earlier, you had to sit down with Daniel Smith after the big cabinet swearing in. What is the situation with Danielle Smith? Where is she going to go? What can we expect from her over the, the coming months? Especially, you know, as, as we talk about, we're heading into the winter, we're going to have a, a potentially a nasty flu season, and there's concern that COVID is going to rear its ugly head again. What can we expect from Danielle Smith going forward? Well, going forward, there's going to be no lockdowns of businesses. There's not going to be any lockdowns of schools. There's not going to be any restrictions beyond nursing homes uh, because that fits into her self-imposed mandate that, uh, you know, we will look after the most at risk. She is going to fix the bed situation, according to her. She's going to have more capacity, more hospital beds, and the more hospital beds will mean that you don't have to do I'm saying this is what she believes, that you won't have to do the lockdowns or the restrictions because there will be enough hospital beds to accommodate all the people who get sick and need hospitalization. So that's the first thing, I think. Uh, uh, Second thing is, of course, people are crossing their fingers that COVID, the story goes away if COVID, in fact, does not rear its own. So you remember the bet about best summer ever? But the plan B, even though they didn't want to do it, was always, you know, come in with a vaccine passport, come in with masking again. Here, the plan B is more beds. There will be more beds, more staff, more beds, a more nimble, more expansive healthcare system, hospital system, and they will be able to accommodate the increased numbers that do go to the hospital. The three things, that will be a big preoccupation from now through to before Christmas for the rest of the year because uh, the Sovereignty Act will be introduced into the legislature because the COVID season, such as it is, whatever it is, will, will, be, will be there. I think they will also do, do stuff on other files 
and she did talk about that in her speech. So they will deal with, you know, mental health issues and homelessness and affordability and, of course, restructuring government. And, you know, there will be other files. It won't just be those. But she is obviously very interested in fulfilling her three promises. At that point, when she's starting to talk about other issues as well, I think is the point where people start asking that other question, what does her electoral map look like? What is her strategy to win the next election? Because, as I say, the most recent time I talked to her, she is very confident of winning the next election. So I think a lot of people are also going to start asking the question, how do you get to 44 seats? Because 44, 45 seats, because you need at least that and probably a lot more. Yeah. And so that would be a case of, you know, I've heard her talk or I've heard I've read stories that suggest that she believes that she only needs to win a handful of seats in Calgary and then run the table in rural Alberta to win a majority, which leaves people in parts of Calgary and other cities in the province saying, well, what about us? Well, yeah, she she talks about the 39 rural seats to hold those. She's very concerned about the rural seats for, for because of what you saw at the AGM. When most of the big political changes in Alberta have come from rural Alberta, most of them, anybody writes a history book, they will see that, whether it was social credit, whether it was the founding of Wild Rose, whether it was the rebellion against Jason Kenney, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of the changes happen because of a great populist wave from rural Alberta. So she wants to hold 39 seats. Now, some people are saying she will lose a few of those 39 um, because those 39 do include the area around Edmonton, not Edmonton itself, but around Edmonton. So that is debatable whether she keeps those 39. Then she says as many as 10 to 15 in, you know, city of Edmonton, city of Calgary. Calgary is interesting because UCP has 23 seats. So let's say she wants to win 10 in Calgary. That means she's willing to lose more than half their seats or half the seats in Calgary. So you can see at some level, if you look at the map, so you've got 39 outside the cities. Then if you get your Calgary map out, if you go from the northwest, go straight south to Woodbine, which is represented by the former premier, Jason Kenney, and then go right along the bottom and sort of capture that southern belt all the way to the east side of the city. Those are the seats she'll probably target the most because a lot of those were the seats that Jim Prentiss won when the PCs got almost wiped out. They still held those seats. So I think, I can't speak for her, but you know those seats tend to be, they are the real rock-ribbed conservative seats. I always got the sense with Jason Kenney that he wanted to win 87 to 0. And it was just the kind of guy he was. It's like the by-election that's coming up. He didn't want to win his by-election in Calgary Lawheed. He wanted to get 70 or 80%. And he got over 70% in the city, in Calgary, not in rural Alberta, in Calgary. And he was working his butt off to get to run up the score. I always got that sense from Premier Kenny, despite my many disagreements with him. He wanted to run up the score. This strategy is unique in that it's admitting or allowing for defeat in seats. It's willing to say, no, I ain't, I'm, I ain't winning there. I'm not winning there. I'm not winning there. Here's where I'm winning. And I still win. 
Whereas Kenny was always talking about as if he could win Edmonton Strathcona, even though he couldn't, but he always thought that, or he really did believe he could get a foothold, a beachhead in Edmonton. He really, really did believe that. It didn't happen, of course, but he believed it. So that's a very different strategy. So that's what's unique about her strategy. It's not so much the numbers. It's she's already conceding a lot to the NDP day one. Yeah, it is an interesting strategy. It's, you know, it's fascinating time in Alberta politics. Always happy to chat with you, Rick. Thanks for your time. Okay, take care. 10-3 is produced by Tyler Dawson. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Rick Bell. More from him at calgarysun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.